Well, hello, 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 good people. This is Christine Jones, founder and CEO of Clear Choice Financial Solutions, LLC. And this is our 11th podcast episode. Ah, can you believe it? Now, I know you're probably wondering why in the world I keep counting the episodes. There's a very good reason. Because I'm excited. That's why. I'm excited because guess what? This was something on my bucket list. And I'm doing that. So that is a big thing to me. And you know what? Each of us has to find that thing that excites us. There's just so much going on. And unfortunately, it can all get you down if you're not careful. So we have to find that thing. I don't care how small it may seem to someone else, but we have to find that thing that makes us excited about the day ahead, that thing that makes us want to try twice as hard as we did the day before. And part of it is just being grateful that you have something to do. Is that all right? So yes, this is our 11th podcast episode and we're going to talk about as usual what's the score with us personally there are a lot of crazy things going on in this world right now so let's just talk about a few of them and see you know what sense we can make of it all and then we're going to talk about credit and financial issues that don't pertain to credit necessarily although they are related. So we're gonna talk about the new FICO suite and also the national coin shortage. National coin shortage, what? Stay tuned, we're gonna talk about it all. Okay, so let's just cut to the chase. What is going on in this world? So many crazy things happening. So I just saw uh, an article and then it was uh, mentioned on the news that Florida has had its highest day of coronavirus, uh, I guess, positive tests, 15,000, which is actually larger than some countries had in a day. I mean, it's shattering records. So let's just be real, right? Wasn't it Floridians? And not all of them, but there were a good number who didn't seem to feel that COVID-19 was a thing. They didn't seem to feel that even if it was a thing, that they had to do anything to keep from catching it. So we saw a lot of people preferring to have their comforts and luxuries and do their beach thing with no masks. And they really didn't want anyone to say anything to them about it because they said it was an infringement of their rights. Well, hmm. and this is going to seem really harsh, but this is really the reality that we're seeing. When you make those kinds of decisions, 
sometimes you are actually deciding to die. And even if I could be okay with someone deciding to die, and I mean, I guess, you know, that's your business. But as another human being, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't sit right with me. But even if it's okay for you, look at the risk that you are taking with other people's loved ones. Please understand. It is a spike in cases in Florida now. But remember, people are not staying put. Do you really think that's going to actually stay in Florida? So as people begin to move, those people are going to take potentially the virus back to where they go. And as people begin to cross state lines, and I recognize that some states, um, you know, have this quarantine if you're coming from other states, but the reality is this is not necessarily going to be contained. So please, people, you know, I often tell my students that when one person has total freedom, like absolute freedom, that means that no one else in the world has freedom. In order to actually have any freedom, we all have to give up a little bit of ours that we think we're entitled to, right? And I often say it like this. So for example, if I am totally free, right, I'm absolutely free, then that means I'm free to walk over and just pop you in your head. But that means that you're not free to walk or exist unharmed, at the very least. So as long as one person has absolute freedom, no one else is really free. And so it becomes a thing where we are our brothers and sisters keepers. If you don't worry about yourself, please worry about someone else. I certainly don't want to lose my parents because someone else didn't care about a mask. And it's really that deep. You know, and I'm seeing even on social media, there was a gentleman who, I think it was in April, he was saying he wasn't wearing a mask. You know, he's lived this long without one, and he's not going to start wearing one now. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, he was on saying that he tested positive and that he was having trouble breathing. The other day, they were sending out his death notice. This thing does not care about who you are, what your religious, political, whatever beliefs are. It doesn't care what your socioeconomic levels are. This thing is here with us. And that brings me to the next issue that is of great concern, the issue of schools reopening. And I recognize that President Trump, and I'm really trying to be respectful, uh, 
this this is a problem but I'm really trying to be respectful because I do have a responsibility uh, especially when I am you know saying things publicly I have a responsibility to be respectful to state what I feel but to do it in a certain way uh, but I am totally against what the president has said and especially his way of handling it if schools don't reopen uh, that they are not going to be funded come on that is threatening people if they don't put their lives on the line and I'm sorry too many times the populations that are at greatest risk are full of the people who look like me and that doesn't set well with me, right? We matter. I don't care how many people don't like that, but we matter. Black lives matter. Let's just say it. Black lives matter. And I don't care whether the president or anyone in his, you know, administrative um, group, <laughs> uh, whether it's his cabinet, whether or not it's anybody in the Senate, what I don't care who it is, if they don't believe that we matter, that's on them. But we do matter. And it is not fair for people to say, well, okay, you know, how many children are really going to die? It's only going to be a few. Okay, but guess what? To that parent who has to stand over the casket of their baby, that's every child. They're not really concerned about the others. They're looking at the life that they brought into the world no longer existing. That is too great a risk. And so here are, are my questions because I, I am a teacher and in my particular school district, you know, we kind of started this thing off in, in, in March. Um, you know, nobody really knew when, you know, we closed the schools, nobody really knew that it was going to actually take this kind of turn. Right. But what we did know was that our district allowed the suburban schools to close. And those of us who were really smack in the inner cities, we were in another day. And we were all looking like, huh? What? And it was it was really a strange thing. And and you know the excuse was given that parents had to find appropriate babysitting services. And and I, I hear here again I want to be very respectful. But people when we make the decision to have children, sometimes we have to think beyond the here and now. 
it is not the job of teachers and building engineers and school secretaries and school nurses and you know classroom assistants and and hall monitors or climate support people as they are called at this point and the principal it's not on us to just provide a place for your children to stay we are providing education the problem is though that too many of us are looking at education as entertainment and we feel like kids have to be entertained while they're in school and sometimes even school personnel and administrators kind of buy into that because when teachers are observed you know there's this whole engagement piece in the Danielson framework and part of the engagement piece really has to do with whether the kids are and I want to say this carefully but really it's whether they're entertained enough to keep their minds on what it is that they're supposed to be doing at that particular time. The problem with that is that we have not, as a society, put enough emphasis and value on education. We have, without necessarily coming right out and saying it, but, but children notice because they notice how much we pay other segments of society. So you're trying to tell children to focus in class and do your work, but the people that they see making the most and having the things that their little hearts desire, those people are doing things that they really don't make the connection with education for. They don't make that connection. They don't make the connection. And I'm not downing those who play sports. Understand what I'm saying? They're good at what they do. Everybody can't be a doctor. Everybody can't be a lawyer. Everybody can't be a teacher. Everybody can't be a sports celebrity, <laughs> right? An athlete, even. There's a difference. Sometimes there are people who are just celebrities at the thing, and then there are people who are just really, really good. They're really, really solid athletes. But we're telling children, oh, no, you've got to learn you know, algebra, you've got to learn the Pythagorean theorem. Uh, you've got to learn um, about, you know, E equals MC squared. And they see people shooting a ball through a hoop or running a ball down a field. And those people are making millions and millions of dollars while the people who are actually 
using more academia in careers are always struggling to make ends meet, right? Even a lot of our doctors, because of the price of insurance, malpractice insurance, they're in a lot of debt. Teachers, a lot of us are in a lot of debt with, you know, student loans. But we want children to see the value in education, but we don't pay people as if the education that you've rammed down our throats is valued by you. So oftentimes, teachers are sitting in classrooms with students who are just unmotivated. A good portion of the time, they've been up all night playing Fortnite or on their cell phones, hitting social media. And by the time they get to our classes, now sometimes they're also taking care of siblings. But by the time they get to our classrooms, they're tired. Some of them have come out of the house, they haven't eaten, they don't want to eat at school, and then they come to the classroom, they have no energy because they haven't eaten, they haven't slept, and then someone's looking at the teacher saying, why isn't this child engaged in your class? Well, it must be your fault. You're not a good teacher because this child is asleep. We've got to do better than this. We've got to do better than this. We have allowed children and even some parents to think that it is the job of the school to entertain. And we've totally missed the mark on that. And so when people say that we need to open schools because children need the education, they'll be too far behind. I have news for you. A lot of these students were already behind. And a lot of these students, even with virtual learning, and even with computers given, and even with Wi-Fi options and hotspots offered, they did not make use of it. Because a lot of students, and I'm not saying all, but a lot of students preferred to do other things. And parents started to see that they could not even get their own children to work. So if a parent can't get their child to work, what is the expectation of a teacher who really amounts to a perfect stranger at the beginning of all of this? So when you are saying that we need to open schools and risk our lives because these children need education, now don't get me wrong, we need education. But that does not mean that we need to die over it unnecessarily. Now, if we are struggling for the right to be educated, that's different. But for someone to say that we have to go into buildings, how are we going to socially be distant? What's that going to look like when each of our classes has 30 or more children. 
And if it's not 30, it's very close to it. How are you going to accomplish social distancing in a classroom with that many children? In a hallway with that many children? How are they going to eat? Where are they going to eat? When does anybody get any breaks? How are you going to control the bathrooms? Because we're obviously going to have to be on schedules so that we don't have overcrowding in the bathrooms because then social distancing is no longer a thing. What's going to happen when that parent, and it happens often, decides that the child is sick, but they're going to school anyway. Right? See, before COVID-19, we took risks. Parents send the, would send the child to school. You know, you, you might feel better a little bit later in the day. If you don't feel better, give me a call. Sometimes the child wouldn't feel better and you couldn't find anyone. You couldn't reach anyone. But now that COVID-19 is here, what does that look like? child comes in, may or may not indicate that they're sick. They come in, they get sick in the classroom. The teacher has to call the nurse. The nurse may determine that the child has a fever, but now fevers, they have a different meaning. What does that look like now? And so now it's going to be if somebody has a fever, you know, you're almost going to be afraid for, for anyone to know that. You know, because sometimes kids will be very open about it. Like, I don't feel good. I don't, I really don't, you know. But now they're going to be afraid to say anything because everybody's going to be like, you got COVID-19, get away from me. That's going to be a bad thing. You may potentially have students who are actually sick, who don't want to say anything because of fear that they're going to be ostracized. And then let's face it, we have allowed a lot of poor behavior to exist in our schools. And I'm not saying suspension is key, but we haven't done much to figure out what it is that will work. And so sometimes when we haven't figured out anything, when you, you have children who are just terrorizing buildings, if you haven't been in a school recently, and I'm not talking about, you know, a school where um, parents are very involved and, and a lot of money goes into these buildings and and uh, there's going to be you know what to pay if, if there's even a speck of dust on the floor. I'm talking about a lot of these inner city public schools where, you know, you're in there and oftentimes you're in there with mice, <laughs> bed bugs, roaches. And then on top of that, you have a lot of children who don't use the resources that are in the schools properly. So, and I'm just being quite frank. They'll go in, they'll stuff the toilets with the paper towels. 
that breaks the toilets, clogs up the, pump, the plumbing. Sometimes they jump on the toilets and break the toilets off the wall. They're doing all sorts of things, throwing food up and down hallways. If they get a hold of scissors, they're, they're cutting computer cords, they're holding them to people's necks, they're doing... You don't realize what's going on in some of these buildings. Are you trying to tell me that going back in the building, on top of all that's going on, now we're going to have to have masks on, may have to have gloves, I don't know. Some of our buildings, I know I'm on the fourth floor. Our district has had our windows basically locked at about five or six inches. So it's sweltering as soon as it gets warm in any type of way. Now you have to have, have masks on. You're trying to teach. You're breathing in the same air that you've just ex exhaled. And now you've got these children who are terrorizing the building. And, and let's be real. They're not going to stop because of COVID-19. They're not. They may pull another child's mask off. They may cough in someone's face thinking that it's funny. This is a problem. And, 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 and we're being used as guinea pigs. And I will be honest with you. I don't see how we're going to be able to go back to school. I don't care whether or not you say it's just a couple of days a week, just a couple. It only takes a second, if that, for a droplet of viral contaminant to invade a person. We're focusing on the nose and the mouth but what about the eyes? Some people have indicated that COVID-19 was acquired through the eyes. What about the children who can't tolerate the mask? I'll be honest, I'm an adult. It's hard enough for me. It is horrible trying to wear a mask and then trying to talk. It's just like you don't want to do anything. You just... If you have to have the mask on, that's fine, but you don't feel like saying anything. We're expected to teach through that and then settle somebody else's child down. And then what about those children? As often happens, somebody forgets to pick them up, somebody forgets to do this, and then you've got school personnel in a building that they should have left a while ago trying to reach someone. We're not making excuses as, as teachers, but this is not our job. We are not babysitters. We are not entertainers. We're teachers. Your parents are gonna have to realize they will have to entertain their children. That is not on the school. Now, all of this coupled with the fact that President Trump just decided to put on a mask in public for the first time.
when as a leader, he should have had a mask on really before everyone else to show the way. There's a large segment of our society that will do whatever a leader says without thinking. So when he doesn't seem to care, they think it's not real. And they don't care. And guess what? Now, where the rally was in Tulsa, they've had a spike in COVID-19 and they are attributing it to that rally. Doesn't the president have a responsibility to take care of the people in his country, in his nation? 133,000 lives gone, is that okay? 133,000 people who entered 2020 will not enter 2021. And that's just where we are right now. Who knows how many lives will be lost by the time we hit 2021. And that's not to mention all the people who would die of other causes within a given year anyway. We're in a crisis. And I heard someone put it really, really well. We're meeting virtually to talk about opening up places face to face. Well, if it's that safe, why are you meeting about it virtually? Hmm? If it's that safe. And if the only thing that kept the numbers down was us being locked in our homes almost, we still have no vaccine. Don't you think everything is going to spike when there are people out and about? If the only thing that was keeping that down was people not being out and about? Like, we have to make sense. We, we, have, to, we have to make sense. And I don't know if they understand this, but the economy is not going to do well if everybody's dead. There will be no need for an economy if everybody's dead. So... These are the things that I, I've been thinking about this week. What are, what are your thoughts on all of this? You know, if you if you um, are listening to this podcast episode and you want to chime in, please let us know. If you have a rebuttal, please, we'd be glad to have you on. Um, you know, contact us. I'm Christine Jones. You can reach me at 215-901-7651 uh, directly. You may call the business at 888-404-5815 and leave a message. You may email me at crjones at clearchoicefinancialsolutions.com. And you may leave a message through the website at clearchoicefinancialsolutions.com. But these are the things that we need to really discuss. That being said... 
we're going to take a brief break. I don't know if you can hear that, but there's just a motorcycle <laughs> going by. Um, I like fresh air, so I'm actually really taking in nature as I'm doing this episode. So you might hear some strange sounds. Last week, there were frogs. <laughs> And they were doing their thing. Um, this week, I don't hear them so much. They're out, but I don't hear them so much. But you might just hear any little sound. So don't worry about it. But we will be back in a few moments. We're back. So at this point, um, we're in a new segment of our podcast for today. And we want to talk about a couple of things. The new FICO suite. And also the national coin shortage. So let's let's talk about the new FICO suite for right now. Uh, so you may have noticed that your credit score, without anything else changing, has dropped. It may have been a minor drop. It may have been a more significant drop. But a lot of people are noticing that. Well, here's the thing. You know, last year, Ultra FICO came out where you were going to be able to use alternative data to be qualified for various credit accounts. And so they would use um, a bank account of your choosing and sort of track how you managed that. Uh, they, were, they were using a few different things to... Uh, allowed people who would normally have not qualified to be able to qualify. Well, in the middle of all that, they were talking about a new scoring model that was coming out with FICO. And they were talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And then we had various things happen. Um, and most immediately, we've had COVID-19 and also all the racial tension. And, you know, that kind of thing tends to take one's mind off of certain things like sometimes financial issues, even though they are, they are important, but some, you know, we, we, we also prioritize. And so with this being said, this FICO 10 and 10T was scheduled to hit this summer. Well, it is the summer and it has hit. And so what people are noticing is that they're being impacted. Now, for people who had historically good credit, a lot of them are going to remain with good credit and theirs may even get better, but this is really gonna slam people who are struggling with their credit anyway. So here's the thing, um, when you look at your credit score, especially if you've been working with a credit repair agency, please don't think that they did anything to your credit. Now, again, I will say, and I've always mentioned, that there are times when even with our best efforts, we attempt to get something dealt with, you know, that is reporting negatively on your credit report specifying erroneous, obsolete, or unverifiable. But we, we hope, now there are certain accounts that can't really be positive ever. So if it's a collection account, we really want to get that removed because I don't care how you cut it. 
even if they say something nice about it that you paid, it's still a collections account, right? And so, you know, any lender that is looking at your file is going to look and see a collection account. So that kind of thing we don't want on there. But if you have a late payment, you know, we, we want to get that taken off, but we want to keep the account more than likely because losing the account can lose payment history. It can, it, it, you know, it, it can lose age of account points, especially if that's one of your older accounts. So we really want to keep that on there. Um, but sometimes, especially if we attempt to get the wording changed, like paid as agreed, never late, if we attempt to get the wording changed on an account that is closed already, um, sometimes when they remove that entire account, it, it may look a little different on your credit score. Um, and sometimes, even if it's an account, if, if even if it's an account that is still open, depending on how they deal with it, based on our disputes or challenges. There are times when that's really not under our control. And that's what people don't understand. This is why we can't say, we will remove this or we will remove that. No, that we can't say that. We won't do anything but dispute or challenge. And we'll go back and forth with that. But other than that, our hands are tied as well. So the creditors, the bureaus, the collections agencies, they have the upper hand when it comes to how those accounts are reporting. And sometimes if an account is removed based on just the simple dispute or, or challenge that we've made, a consumer can lose points. However, if we look at credit health, your file, as I've always said, may be healthier, but your score may suffer, you know, a bit. However, if you have a healthy credit file, your score will more than likely rebound. Okay, um, so it's it's better to look at the health of the credit file, and I continue to say that, and I will continue to say that. Um, however, in this particular uh, situation with FICO 10 and FICO 10T. Uh, some people are in credit repair and they're noticing that their score has dropped and it really makes them look side-eyed at the credit repair agency, but it's not our fault. We don't have control over FICO 10 and 10T. We don't have control over any of the scoring models. We don't have control over any of that. How they score you is how they score you, period. So you may be in the middle of uh, credit repair and notice that your score has taken a dip please don't holler at the credit repair agency or agent let's have that conversation and a good credit repair company or agent is going to be able to walk you through what's actually happening on your credit file this is why it's so important that we draw uh, monthly your credit report so that we can see what may be reporting and what may be different even from the month before. There are many things that could be different and sometimes especially in this age of COVID-19 and all this racial tension 
in the middle of all that, you still have the normal thieves that are really trying at this time to do their thing. But if all else is the same, and you realize that you have FICO 10 and 10T going on, then you have to look at, okay, this is what's going on. And here are the steps that we need to take to you know, not make damage any greater and see how we can get ourselves out of this. So when we're looking at FICO 10 and 10T, they are specifically looking at the last 24 months trending data, okay? And so here's what's sort of different. Under FICO 10 and 10T, late payments have a greater impact. Utilization has a greater impact. And personal loans. Now, this is, this is going to sting because getting a personal loan for debt consolidation has long been a recommendation in order to assist people with getting themselves out from under debt. And it's still a good financial move, but under FICO 10 and 10T, you're going to pay for it on your credit score, more than likely. Okay? So they're looking now at personal loans, and they're penalizing people for having them. My suggestion would be, if that is the only way that you are going to be able to get out of debt, I would take the risk on the score. I really would. Um, now when you, so here's the thing, if you are looking to do something immediately, like you're trying to buy a home or something like that, I know that you think that your score is important and it is. However, if certain things are reporting on your credit report anyway, don't you think they're going to see that in underwriting? So you may be blocked anyway. So it would basically behoove you to just go ahead and take the risk and minimize that debt, okay? Um, and then we can work on building your credit once again, all right? Um, so FICO 10 and 10T, once again, and I keep saying that so that you can really get that in your mind, FICO 10 and 10T. Um, most often we've been dealing with 8 and 9, but we have FICO 10 and 10T now, um, Get that really through your heads because you're going to more than likely have to deal with the ramifications of it. It is here. Um, how it is used and how widely it is used. You know, by the end of 2020, all lenders will have access to it. What they do with it is up to them. Okay? But, you know, you, you have to figure that it, it, it could pertain to you and impact you, okay? If you have any questions on that, once again, contact us, all right? Now, let's talk about this coin shortage because, you know, we've seen, you may have even gone to the store and noticed that they're telling you that, you know, they're only taking cards, debit or credit, they're, um, or, or that they want you to have exact change. Well, you may have also seen some reports that there's a national coin shortage. 
So the question that I've been hearing is, well, where did all the coins go? Well, that's a very good question. So let me make sure that we understand. The coins did not decide to boycott the nation and just leave. They didn't. Here's what that means. We all know that we have coins in our homes. We all do. With COVID-19, remember now, a lot of businesses have been closed. And so places that we would have normally circulated coins were not open. We didn't take those coins there. They were not in public circulation. And in fact, we spent a lot of time buying what we needed online, which meant that we were using a card of some sort. Now, that being said, now that things are opening back up, these places don't have the coins. We have them. Also, remember, we had been told that money is dirty. Now, we've heard that even as we were children. But now with COVID-19, and there's, I hate to mention this, but there was, there was a report that the bubonic plague has reared its ugly head in, in, in some area in the world. And also there is another, I believe, version of, was it the Spanish flu? So whatever it is, we all know that money takes a beating when it comes to germs. Money falls on the ground. People store money in nasty, unsanitary places, right? Um, and, and so, you know, I grew up with uh, understanding that this, if, like, if you go and order food somewhere, the person who is fixing your food should not be the same person who took your money. And if they are, there should have been some major hand washing in between, right? Um, so we've been told to limit the use of money because of the germ factor. So now, coins, and remember, people don't necessarily respect coins. We like the dollars. <laughs> we, we like the paper money. And oftentimes, we might have hundreds of dollars in coins just sitting around somewhere, but we just don't respect them enough to gather them and, and, and you know, make sure that they are also being used. Sometimes we'll find out we're not broke if we just count our coins. So stores are really just saying, we don't have any coins. We have very few coins. We need you to bring them in, right? So it's not that coins are no longer in the nation. They're in the nation. They're in our homes. We need to recirculate them into the economy which means that we need to get them back into the businesses that would normally use them to make change, which then gets that change from person to person to person to person. And in this case may spread some germs, right? But if you really want to help with this, they are asking and, and it's, you know, on a store by store basis, but they are asking that either you pay with a card or, you know, um, have exact change, or 
If you have a lot of change, get it wrapped and bring it in, right? And then they can either you know, give you the dollar value for it, or if you're using it to make a purchase, then obviously you'll just get whatever change you need you know, from that. Um, but whatever you have, let's start bringing it back in. That's with the hope that the economy is on the upswing as well. Until we get COVID-19 and all the other things that are popping up under control, that may be a moot point. <laughs> okay, so now, even though that's not necessarily a credit topic, you may notice that I said it wasn't really pertaining to credit, but, but it is related. So let, let's, let's talk about how this whole coin shortage is related to credit. Well, there are a lot of people who don't use credit cards. Now, that's a bad move because you know, if you're trying to maintain or even grow your credit score, um, you, you have to have a mix of credit. Revolving and installment specifically are going to help you with that. And you, know, you definitely need some credit cards. You don't need a whole, whole lot, but you definitely need some credit cards. Um, and that, that allows lenders to also know how you pay back what you've been loaned, especially if you have a certain limit, but you're able to use different amounts of that limit, right? As opposed to an installment where you know what you're paying every month. But with revolving, eh, one month, you may have only charged $20. The next month, you may have cho you know, charged 1000 What you know, whatever is within your limit. And so they need to see how you pay that back. So there are some people who don't have credit cards. They don't have debit cards. Um, sometimes even getting a checking account is based on your credit score. Check systems is normally the, the, the data furnisher that um, supplies that information if you are applying for a, a checking account or savings account. Um, and so it is, it is related in, in, in that sense. But also, when you're thinking in terms of there not being coins and you needing credit, what happens then if your credit is not good enough for you to get a credit card? How will you get what you need if places are not accepting cash? And you have to have a card and you don't have one. I was in uh, a store the other day and a woman was literally hollering and screaming all over the store. Apparently she had lost her debit card and the card she did have when she got to the counter, she could not remember the pin number for. And she was hollering and screaming that they had nothing at home and that she couldn't get anything because she, it was, it was bad. Um, it was bad. So you have to stop and think that that is related to your credit. So don't play your credit for cheap. Make sure that you are working on that. Make sure that if you think that your credit is good, that you are checking to make sure that it is staying good, that nothing is popping up on your file that should not be there, that is not yours, or that you didn't actually make a mistake and not pay something that you should have paid. Right? So 
it tends to all kind of be related, although it may not sound like it at first. But a coin shortage, regardless of whether or not it is the way it sounds like it is, the fact that they are claiming that and the fact that stores and other you know businesses are asking for certain types of payment, that's going to mean that you have to be in position to make those payments the way they ask or else you're going to be out of luck. So I would just encourage you to uh, be vigilant about your credit because in this day and age, it may come to the point where we are fully using cards. And, you know, for those of you who don't have quite the credit standing to get a debit card or a credit card that is um, unsecured, hopefully you have the cash to get a secured card. Now, when I say cash, you know, you can give them your account information if you're able to have an account, right? Uh, so it, this is really going to, this is, this is kind of interesting. Um, but if you're able to get a secured card, you will have to put cash down. That's the nature of a secured card. You will have to put cash down. So make sure that if you don't have the ability to get an unsecured card, that you put yourself in prime position to get a secured card. But have something so that if you go out of the house and you need bread and the store is not taking cash, that you're not walking away empty-handed because you don't have a card. And please understand that this is not the day and age where people will really help you out with that, right? Because they may not be taking your cash if um, cash can't be used and they don't know where your cash has been either. So this is really a strange time, people. And I know this episode has been very, 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 very long. Um, sometimes people say I talk too much, eh, and I may. But you will never leave me wondering about information. If anything, you may say that I gave you too much. But you will rarely leave me saying that uh, you didn't get enough. <laughs> okay? So with that being said, um, I thank you all once again for being part of our podcast experience. And God willing, we'll meet you here again next week. Be blessed.